Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Gramier Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at gramier.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Gramier Church of Christ. The reading this morning comes from John 1, 14 through 18. John 1, 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because He is before me. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. We can all identify these moments. Moments when we are watching something. Maybe it's a a movie. Uh, Maybe it's a TV show. uh, And we become maybe a little emotional. We feel the tears well up a little bit. Uh, sometimes it could be during a commercial, if it's a, you know, a certain kind of commercial that really all of a sudden catches us off guard. There's something about those emotional moments that we remember. Uh, and maybe we try to, to wipe the, the tear away so no one around us can see, but there's something striking about that. But what I've noticed is those powerful moments in, in movies and in TV and the powerful moments that we see... Uh, If you were to take just that line that's spoken, maybe that evokes that response, if you were to take even just that scene, and if you went straight there, if you just fast-forwarded to that moment, it wouldn't have the same emotional impact. If you just read that line on a blank piece of paper, it wouldn't have the same emotional impact. Those moments are powerful in a larger context. Those moments are powerful because we followed the storyline. We've kept up with the people. We, we know a little bit about what they're experiencing. We're relating our own experiences to theirs. That's when we can really understand those moments that impact us. Context is really important. Context is important in life. Uh, maybe you've had the chance to sit around and tell some uh, family stories uh, recently, or maybe you're looking forward to that in the next couple of days. And if you're like me, sometimes when a story is told that you're a part of, you want to add in your perspective just so everyone has the full context, right? You need to understand, okay, yes, I might have done this, but here's why. There's something about the context that's important. Context is also important if we're trying to understand what Scripture says. And and we learned that at an early age. We learned that to really understand what a passage means, I need to look at what comes before it and what comes after it. But to have full understanding, I also need to be able to place events in Scripture in their context. This is a time of year, as we've mentioned all month, when people are talking about Jesus, we're thinking about Jesus, specifically thinking about the birth of Jesus. And while we understand Scripture doesn't specify exactly what day that was, isn't it a blessing that there are people all over the country, all over the world, that are thinking about Jesus? We want to take advantage of that. And what we've sought to do to use this opportunity to share Jesus with others is we've sought all month on Sunday mornings to put it in context. People are often thinking about the birth. Let's consider it in the context 
of all we know from Scripture about Jesus. We need to fully appreciate what it means for the Word to become flesh, but the only way we can fully appreciate that is if we know who Jesus is, what happened on the cross, what He has done for us, what He continues to do for His church. All those things are important. It's vital for us to continually seek to understand Jesus. And the way we've sought to do that is we've taken the words to a song that we sing. Here I am to worship. A reminder of why we're here, why we come together to worship every Sunday. What is it that we're doing? And as we've looked through the verses of that, we've spent time thinking about Jesus's light of the world. Uh, And that specifically has its roots in the passage that Levi just read for us in John chapter 1. We talk about the light shining in the darkness, and I'd like for us to focus in on those verses that we've read and just reflect on what that has to say to us about the power of our Savior. And the Word became flesh, verse 14 of John chapter 1, and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. Now, did you notice the way that John the Baptist, who's paving the way for Jesus, many had sort of thought, maybe this is the Messiah, but he was clear. There was one who has a higher rank than I. And why is that? Because he existed before me. We're reminded that what we need to know about Jesus doesn't begin in the manger. That's an important part of our understanding But John 1 reminds us that he was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And then he describes that fullness. And if you look at verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. Only the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. We know that it's impossible for our human eyes to fully understand and fully comprehend the God that we serve, but He's made Himself known through Jesus. And so we reflected on the fact as we sing, Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Opened my eyes, let me see. We've thought about what that means. And then as we continued thinking through the fact that He's the light of the world, in the very beginning in Genesis, light is created by God. And then in the beginning of John we're reminded that that light shines in the darkness. We live in a world that needs light. And there's only one way for those eyes to be opened, for that light to be seen. But then we also continued thinking about the hope, the beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. And we spent time thinking about Jesus' ministry and thinking about uh, what it was that he displayed in his life that drew people to him and what it was he was teaching. Multiple times in Scripture, Christ is connected to our hope. Hebrews 6 describes this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor. This is not something that's flimsy. This is something that's solid. And then we reflected on the fact that he's king of all days, also highly exalted, glorious in heaven 
above. He was the long-awaited king. That's one of the reasons why Herod was so concerned when he found out there were people who were searching for the king. Herod was notoriously jealous and paranoid, and he wasn't worried about another good teacher coming. He wasn't worried about another good uh, person coming. He was worried about a king, someone with that divine title. He was thinking physically, but we know the long-awaited king, as Jesus would describe to Pilate, was king of a spiritual kingdom. He's the long-awaited and everlasting king. And so the story of Jesus doesn't just start with the manger. It starts with creation. It starts with the very beginning. He's God. And it doesn't end when the first few chapters of the Gospels are read. The story continues today. He's the light of the world, our hope, and our King. It may be that you're here this morning because this is a time of year you're thinking about Jesus. Maybe uh, you're here because you're a guest of someone. Maybe you're watching because you've been thinking about it and this seemed like a good time of year to to give this a a try to think about worshiping if so let me just tell you we are glad you're here Uh, we're thankful for that privilege and that opportunity what we want to do is to consider the life of jesus in the context of his word and consider what our lives look like in the context of what god has done for us we're going to be singing about jesus life about his role as king of our lives we're going to be singing about how jesus came into the world we're going to be singing about the sacrifice jesus made on the cross and as we do that uh, we can really appreciate and understand how incredible it is that as the next line in the song states humbly you came to the earth you created all for our sake became poor as we sing about jesus as king of our lives Let's focus on how that king came to the world in such a humble way. If you were to walk through the streets of Philadelphia today, you would find a lot of museums, a lot of monuments, and many of them would have to do with Benjamin Franklin. But before he entered into uh, the accomplished era of his life that many of those museums represent, there were some stories about him as he was a young man that are interesting. And one of them is that he decided he wanted to improve his character. He wanted to improve himself as a person. And so he came up with 12 areas that he was going to work on. He would rotate through one a week uh, because 12 was too much to tackle all at once. But he would spend time, and his list originally was temperance, silence, order, resolution, Frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, and chastity. But after talking with a friend, he discovered a lot of people thought he struggled with pride. So he had to add humility to the list. He had to have his friends tell him, you know, a lot of people think you struggle with being prideful. So he put that on the list. Humility is tough. Humility is difficult for us. It's difficult for us because we care what people think about us. We care about how we come across. We care about how we're presented to others. And and we like for people to see maybe how much we have going for us. And yet, the only one who could truly have carried himself with superiority, being superior to all others, was the Son of God, the only 
perfect individual to walk the face of the earth, 100% divine, 100% human. And yet he came to the earth in such a humble way. The next verse of Here I Am to Worship says, Humbly you came to the earth you created. Remember, we saw that in John chapter 1. Through him all things were made, but he came humbly. All for our sake became poor. It's interesting to reflect on the way that's described in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4, when Joseph goes up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The incarnation of Christ began in a humble environment. Now, we often see nativity scenes this time of year, and we understand if, if we're reading through the text, there are some things there that we might not pick up on uh, if we're not thinking about some of the prophecies that have been made about Jesus. Uh, being born in Bethlehem in the city of David was an indication of his royal nature. Uh, they'd been awaiting a long-awaited king to reign on the throne of David, and so we get a hint of that here. They were going to Joseph's hometown due to the census. And likely that means that Joseph would have had family there that were going to help them. That would be an advantage of going to a place where you could have people that would help you. And even when Luke describes the shepherds getting to the house uh, that night, uh, they find their way to Mary and Joseph. And then the text says that all who heard it were amazed. It implies there were some more people there. It was humble circumstances. But Joseph has family there. And even though when we typically think of traveling and we think about vacancies, we're thinking at stopping at a hotel or an inn that would have um, maybe as they used to have the vacancy sign out or no vacancy. Here what it seems is happening is not that uh, they're out in, in some kind of a barn, a separated building with animals, uh, that they're staying maybe on the bottom floor of a home, maybe of uh, a family member. There's no, there's no room for them in the rooms of the home, but they're able to be here where the animals were kept on that first floor. Again, that would have been common there. Uh, but you would have uh, the king of kings entering the world in humble circumstances. But that earthly life of Jesus continues in humble circumstances. In fact, when Joseph and Mary take Jesus to be dedicated to the temple, they offer a sacrifice. The sacrifice called for would have been a lamb and then a, a dove or a pigeon, but if you could not afford a lamb, you could sacrifice a dove in its place. Joseph and Mary offered two doves. There's an indication there of that offering as to the circumstances that they were in. Jesus is referred to later as the son of a carpenter, giving us insight into what Joseph did for a living, a term that simply means builder. It could be a worker with wood or maybe with stone, in some cases with metal. You can imagine the work that would have gone on in places near Nazareth 
Uh, if you were go, to go today to the city of uh, Sepphoris, where they've done a lot of excavation, very close to Nazareth, you would, Nazareth, you would see scenes uh, like this one. You can walk through the ruins and see some of the mosaics that would have been there, or this next slide gives us some uh, insight into some of the stone uh, dwellings that would have been built there. You can imagine Joseph getting a lot of work from nearby projects like this one, but it would have been in humble circumstances. He came here humbly. And it's interesting that this one who was called the son of a carpenter did come here to build, as he told Peter, he's going to build his church in Matthew 16. It's going to be something that lasts longer than any of the structures that Joseph would have worked on as a carpenter. But that ministry persists in humble circumstances. It wasn't uncommon for a teacher to take students with him and to be sort of walking in maybe a a nomadic lifestyle. And that's what happens with Jesus and his apostles. They go from place to place. Even saying in Luke 9, 58, the Son of Man did not have a place to lay his head. It's interesting to me to be reminded that God can do a great deal with humble circumstances. One of the challenges we often face, especially this time of year, is focus on things, focus on stuff. And it's it's good to be able uh, to enjoy the blessings that God has given us. But it's also important to realize that humble circumstances can be a powerful way for us to be used by God. In fact, if we're looking around us, I think there are people searching deeply to try to find fulfillment. They might be more open than we think to listening to and hearing from us as we share our faith. It may be this morning that there's something about your circumstances that you find really discouraging. I don't know what that would be for you. I would imagine all of us probably wouldn't have to think hard to find something discouraging that's going on in our life and that's going on in our circumstances. Maybe something that feels limiting something that feels like I'm not able to do what I'd like to do. Isn't it good to be reminded that God and his power are not limited by our circumstances? Jesus came here humbly, and yet since he's the word made flesh, he changed lives, changed the world, ultimately changed our lives. God doesn't rely on our circumstances to accomplish his will. In fact, he can often accomplish his will in spite of things that human beings do. He came humbly. And as we sing, let's reflect on the humility that Jesus displayed and that he modeled for us. Several years ago, an author named Nancy Rain told a story she had heard from one of her friends named George. Uh, He had a daughter who, uh, at an early age, had gotten too close to a flame and uh, had some scarring on her legs due to the burns. One day when she was in third grade, she was asked, if you could have one wish, what would it be? And she wrote, I want everyone to have legs like mine. In other words, I want everyone to understand what it's like to deal with these scars. And Although we might not have the physical kinds of scars, we can all relate to that, can't we? We want people to know what it's like 
to deal with challenges that we faced. Whatever that is for you, you can fill in the blank personally. We want people to understand what we've been through. There's just something to that that we desire. We want people to be able to understand so they could appreciate what we've experienced, but also so they could relate to us. As we think about Jesus coming and living in humble circumstances, it may be this desire to have someone understand us that's made this passage in Philippians chapter 2 so meaningful over the years. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul tells the Philippian church they needed to remember what it was that Jesus gave up when he came to earth. The language of the text is beautiful. It's also it's hard for us to comprehend. We can't fully imagine what it would be like to have the position uh, that Jesus possessed. And there's a lot of discussion about how exactly did this happen he, when he emptied himself. But I think the best way to understand the text is we've already seen from John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is divine. He's there with the Father, but He didn't consider that equality something to be clutched onto and never to let go. He was willing to set that aside and come to earth to deal with the limitations of humanity. And to be a willing sacrifice. Not only did he come here humbly, he sacrificed willingly. He made the choice to set that position aside. He doesn't empty himself of his identity, his divine identity. We see that clearly in the Gospels. In fact, on more than one occasion, God the Father will affirm, this is my Son, listen to Him. It was just that he was willing to live among his creation, to live as a servant. You know, servant leadership has become common today. Uh, it's not unusual to read books about how if you're going to lead, you need to be able to serve. But the idea of a king coming as a servant would have been hard to understand. In fact, it was hard for the apostles to understand in John 13 when Jesus washes their feet. That's something that a servant did. And so to see their teacher, the one they've been following, do that was hard for them to understand. A servant puts another's needs above their own, making sure those needs are met. Jesus sets a tremendous example, not just of a servant, but even the way Paul describes being obedient to death, even death on the cross. You know, for, only for Jesus was that an option to be obedient to death. None of us have that option as human beings all of us are going to face that. But Jesus had the choice and still was obedient to death. He clearly had power over death. He'd raised others 
from the dead. But when we think of the cross and when we picture it, that was the place that Jesus went willingly, not without difficulty. Looking at the Garden of Eden reminds us of that. But he chooses to sacrifice. Here's what one author, Cicero, had to say about crucifixion. It was a part of life in the ancient world. But he said, Far be the very name of a cross, not only from the body, but even from the thought, the eyes, and the ears of Roman citizens. In other words, let's not even think about that. And over the years, I'm increasingly impressed with the way in which God took what was a symbol of shame and of death, and because of His Son, turned that into a symbol of victory over death. And so there's a part to the song, Here I Am to Worship. We haven't sung as often, uh, but we're going to be singing this morning, uh, which has a a very, I think, important uh, statement being made. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sins upon that cross. We, We can know intellectually what it cost. We know what Scripture tells us. But we'll never be able to fully understand or comprehend the depths of that sacrifice, at least not in this side of eternity when we have all our physical limitations. But Scripture tells us we can know that Jesus went to the cross willingly and we can know that He did it for us. And so J.D.'s going to come and we're going to sing through that part of the song a couple of times uh, to reflect on that sacrifice. When we reflect on what Jesus gave in order to go to the cross... We can also reflect on what that gave us. Jesus left that position so that our position eternally could be changed. And Paul is sure to tell the church at Philippi that as we think about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it didn't end there. He defeated death. He has a name above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. He is the Son, but because He was willing to come to earth, Now our position for eternity can be changed. He took on the form of a servant, living a humble life and humble means to illustrate how we should live, living our own lives in service to others. He became obedient to death, but he defeated death so that death would no longer be master over us. With his sacrifice, he's not only identifying with our humanity. He's also sending us the message through His Word that He understands any pain we might experience. We long for people to be able to identify with what we've dealt with. We're at the end of the year, and maybe this year has contained some challenges. And there's something in you that's saying, I wish people could understand what this was like. Isn't it a blessing to know that we do have one who understands what it's like. No stranger to suffering, no stranger to pain. When we have that desire, we can know that God completely understands any pain we might experience. In fact, there are depths of His understanding that we can't relate to. And as we're reminded of that, and as we're reminded of that sacrifice, we can also be reminded of the good news that came as a result of the cross. We're going to take time to do what we do each time we come together. We're going to focus on 
when we come together in the first day of the week, we take the Lord's Supper. We focus on that sacrifice, that willing sacrifice. Let's remember Paul's words to the church in Philippi as we reflect on that sacrifice together. We have those moments. We have powerful moments where our emotions are stirred. And especially as we think about the sacrifice made for us, what that tells us about God's love for us, and what that tells us about the blessing of salvation, that's one of those real moments. You know, if I'm watching something fictional, if I'm watching a good story, uh, even if it's heartfelt, even if it pulls at my heartstrings, sometimes I can remind myself, you know, this is just a movie. I'm just reading a piece of fiction. When we come to the Word of God, when we come to what we've just read, we're reading something, we're thinking of something, we're reflecting on something real, something life-changing, and something powerful. This morning, we've tried to consider at least just a glimpse of the scope of the life of our Savior. And as we do that, it's good for us to reflect on the scope of our own lives. We know where Jesus went, our light, our hope, our King. We know that He came here humbly. We know that He sacrificed willingly. And one question that's always good for us to ask is, where are we going? Where am I going? Where am I headed? It's the time of year where people are thinking about New Year's resolutions But what we want to do is, in light of the life of Jesus, in light of the gift that God has given us, the opportunity to have salvation, where am I going? Something we do when we get together to worship every time is we do something we call offering an invitation. You may be a guest here today, or maybe that's not something that uh, that you've seen before or familiar with. But all it is is an effort to ask ourselves this question, where am I going? Based on what God has said in His Word, how am I responding? Sometimes that means silently deciding, I'm going to make some changes in my daily routine. I'm going to make some changes in my weekly practices. There's something I'm going to do differently this week because of what we've read in Scripture. For some, it just means reminding ourselves of important truths, of telling myself, you know, I need to really work on this area that I've seen highlighted here in God's Word. Uh, For some of us, it might mean expressing a need for prayer. And so every Sunday morning after our worship time together, there's a, a doorway right there where you can go through and a couple of our shepherds would love to sit down and to pray with you privately, to talk with you privately. But it could be that there's something public that could encourage you. There's something we could do that we could pray for you Uh, that you'd like to rededicate your life. It it may be that you want to study more about God's Word. It may be that you're ready to put Christ on in baptism. Understanding the power of Jesus' story helps us understand the power of obedience to Him, of submission to His will. And time after time in Scripture, when people come to Jesus, we see what happens. They decide they're going to turn their lives around. Wherever they're going, now they're going to be following Him. It's going to mean a change, a change of heart that leads to a change of life. That they're going to confess Jesus as Lord. 
instead of anyone or anything else. They're going to put Christ on in baptism and begin that walk that seeks to follow Him. We've considered Jesus' life in the context of Scripture. Let's now consider our lives in the context of His love and the passages that we've read. Where is it that we're going? Where am I going? As we sing this song that we've been thinking through each of the different verses, hopefully it'll be a reflection on what we've been reminded of about God, about His Son, but also about what we might need to remind ourselves of and changes that we may need to make. If there's any way that we can help you, please come forward and let us know as we stand and as we sing together.